This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM, Unholstered. It is another edition of Unholstered. Good morning, everyone. I am just one of your hosts here on Unholstered. My name is Kayla Blakesley. During the week, I uh, host my own radio show here in Northeast Indiana on the weekend. I have the pleasure of hosting Unholstered alongside my co-host, Sophia. Good morning, everyone. I'm Captain Sophia Rosales-Catina from the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome to the show Unholstered. I am very happy we have this platform, and I do want to remind everyone, if on a previous show you still have questions regarding some of the things we covered, please let us know. We can bring those guests back in, and we can cover those questions you may have at a later time. So I just want you to know that option's still available for you. Yeah, and if you've missed any previous episodes of Unholstered, you can download them anywhere you download a podcast. If you're new to our show, uh, basically it's the local media teaming up with our local police department here in Fort Wayne, Indiana to kind of share and tell all of the stories that don't often get told. My role is obviously the media role. Sophia, as she's mentioned, she's a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department, so obviously she's the role of the police. And Sophia, you know, you mentioned how people can always weigh in or chime in if they want to continue having conversations about certain topics, and that's actually what we're doing today. It got brought up earlier this month because of the elections that were held um, to talk a little bit about the defund the police movement. Um, And I just kind of want to recap this so everyone can be on the same page with us. The defund the police movement was pretty much born out of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, after the death of George Floyd. And and during the elections, as I said earlier this month, the future of the police in, in Minneapolis was put on the ballot, essentially. And it was, to me, it was really scary, kind of really crazy to watch. Um, it could have been a really, a really big moment. Um, but basically, in Minneapolis, there was this amendment that would have eliminated the Minneapolis Police Department and replaced it with a public safety office, whatever the heck that really means, right? Um, one of the big concerns specifically that people have been having is this idea of police officers no longer responding to domestic incidents or domestic violence phone calls or anything that relates to mental illness. So there's this idea, again, to defund the police. When it comes to, to Minneapolis, it was voted down. So the Minneapolis Police Department will remain and exist as it always has. As it should. As it should. <laughs> right. But the conversation have is, hasn't obviously ended there. I mean, you've got activists, you've got political leaders, you've got mayors, you've got governors all across the country still screaming defund the police. And that's the conversation that, Sophia, a lot of folks wanted us to have today. And so I, I kind of almost want to open the floor with you, but here's here's kind of where I want to start before we get to the nuts and bolts of what this could really mean for the police department. I would just love to ask you, as a person, as a human who works for the police department, how does that make you feel when you hear city leaders, local leaders, when you hear the president of the United States saying defund the police? It's pretty disheartening, but I think it comes from a place of ignorance about what it is we actually do and how well we do it. Um, and I want people, when they're when they're looking at police departments, to judge each department individually. We cannot hold the standard of Los Angeles or Minneapolis here to Fort Wayne. Our standards are higher, and I will argue that they're higher every day of the week. We do things and we do them well. Could they be improved? Absolutely. Like but everything else, yeah. right? Like everything else, there's always room for improvement. But we are headed in the right direction. We've been headed in the right direction since 2001 when they, when the CIT program was born here in Fort Wayne. So, for instance, you know, we have all these people clamoring that, you know, let the social workers handle it. 
I don't think there are enough social workers to do the jobs that people are expecting them to do. It's really easy from the cheap seats to yell, Mm -hmm. hey, do this, do that. But I don't see anybody putting their applications in for the police department, for the social workers. It's just people who like to shout, who have no concept of what actually happens on the ground level. I think you hit the nail on the head. You said it's coming from a place of ignorance. uh, But because I don't know that a lot of people are aware of it, can you also explain the CIT program? Right. So the CIT program is crisis intervention team. We now have this department wide. So every officer that goes through our police academy is trained in CIT when they leave that academy. So every officer um, has a basis of knowledge of mental health, how to deal with those in in mental health crisis and look for a good resolve. And we have statistics to prove what we're doing is right and, and doing we're doing it well. So in 2020, we had 2,436 CIT incidents. Um, of that, there was less than 30 uses of force. 30. Wow. Three zero out of 2,436 calls. In 2019, we had 2,872 calls, which was an increase over 2018 by 52%. In 2018, we had like 1,800 calls. Again, though, those uses of force were around or beneath that 30 level. So we are doing things right. And there were zero arrests, zero arrests on mental health calls. Wow. We are doing things right. And we get these people services that they need. And I, I hear people all the time, well, let, let the social workers handle it. Let let the professionals handle it. We are those You people. are the professionals. And the professionals from the offices are calling for us to come and handle the people in their office. So if they're not capable of handling it and sometimes people get aggressive sometimes people get violent and i'm not blaming them for calling us call us if you need us mm-hmm. but i'm just using that as a point of reference for people clamoring to let the professionals handle it they, they are the professionals and they're unable to handle these people sometimes okay i'm sure you i'm sure you've heard this but there's also this idea of having you know your social social services department if you will team up with the, in this case, we're going to, we're talking about the Fort Wayne Police Department, so let's just use that as an example, but teaming up with the FWPD to have essentially a social services employee on the staff and at these domestic calls, mental health calls, whatever they're categorized as, right there with you as you're present handling that case. What about that option? So that option brings a little bit of concern for me as a police officer, because now I have another person whose safety Mm -hmm. I need to be concerned about. Um, Not every mental health call is a violent call. Not every mental person suffering from a mental health crisis is violent, but a good deal of them are, and they're very volatile. They can turn violent very quickly. So what we do is we go in and we stabilize those people, if we can, at the scene, and we take them to where they can get services. So if someone is a danger to themselves or others, the Indiana statute allows us to then transport them to a mental health facility, which we do. We have uh, Parkview Behavioral Health, um, and we take them to Parkview ER. They do a really good job, the Parkview Police. They have this whole system in there where they are in a lockdown unit um, because at that point they cannot leave. And so, Okay, I'm really glad you brought that up because sometimes I think there's this misconception, like you said, the folks yelling from the cheap seats. You don't just, you're not arriving to a case where someone's maybe suffering from schizophrenia here and just saying, well, there you go, we're throwing you in jail. It doesn't no. work like that. No, we still have a, um, a threshold to uh, to get to before we can transport someone. And we are the only ones legally to transport, are able to transport law enforcement officers. I can't have, now, if they're requiring mental uh, medical 
um, services than obviously an ambulance can transport. Um, <clears throat> but we do transport these people to a mental health facility and then they are evaluated and they are determined whether or not they're at risk or not and if they are then they'll petition for a 72-hour hold a lot of times they can get them stabilized maybe back on some medication or something that that will stabilize them enough to send them home mm -hmm. obviously we don't have facilities big enough to house everyone uh, but we do our best in the in the the mental health facilities do their best. We do need more mental health facilities. We do need more people in mental health care that are willing to work with these patients, but they have to be stabilized in order to work to be worked with. Um, and that's what people fail to realize. And that's what we do. We we are we are trained to de-escalate situations. We we train all the time. Um, and I'm really proud of the fact that our stats speak for themselves. I mean, what we're doing here is working, and our officers really do take these calls seriously. And I just want people to know that we do have that threshold. They have to be a danger to themselves or others. And sometimes we can't transport because they don't meet that threshold. Mm -hmm. And people get upset. I'm like, it's it's not against the law to be mentally ill. It, right. It You know, unless they're doing something that's going to affect someone else or themselves then you know there's really not much we can do they are allowed to shout and talk to themselves and curse at themselves and and sometimes that's not pretty sometimes that looks very threatening but if they're not they're not and we we like i said we have to meet that threshold they have constitutional rights as well the other even more outlandish thought is okay instead of it being a social worker hypothetically uh, joining the in this case fort wayne police department it would be a civilian-based job where in some, some cities, mayors are talking about electing people to this position, right? right. So it's a civilian-based job, which I look at that and think about what about training? You know, what about handling certain situations and being able to decipher whether this is a uh, schizophrenic or not or, you know, a domestic disturbance, whatever it might be. I mean, to me, that's just insane. That seems a little crazy and it seems a little a lot dangerous. Um, you know, it's, it's dangerous for us to go on these calls. Our officers get hurt all the time, you know, and sometimes when we have to use physical force and get people into cuffs, sometimes we've had to restrain them with, with ankle ties so they don't kick out the back windows or hurt themselves. Um, sometimes we have to um, have the ambulance transport so we can um, tie them to a gurney. Um, and sometimes, you know, they do get permission to administer medications. Um, it depends on the situation. That's very rare, very rare. But most of the time we can get people stabilized. But, man, I would I would say that would be a very dangerous um, line to broach. But, again, it's people without information, without knowledge, making these decisions. And they really are leaving law enforcement out of the conversation a lot of the times. And that, that's concerning. And that's why we're having the conversation right, right. now. I think the other part, right. too, that I have a hard time swallowing is you're taking you're taking public safety dollars, right, that are, again, we're talking about the Fort Wayne Police Department, that are earmarked for, for the Fort Wayne Police Department. Yeah. We're going to take those public safety dollars and then give them over here to this public safety team or, or a civilian team. Right. That doesn't sit well with me. No, I, you know, as we as we take more money from law enforcement, you really tie our hands in what we're able to do for the community in yeah. terms of proactive policing. And everybody seems to lay at our at the feet of policing all of social all the social problems and social ills. And then, you know, everyone wants to blame us when things don't turn out right mm -hmm. as rain. Well, there are a lot of 501c3s here in Allen County. There are a lot of places where people can can start programs. 
there is nothing preventing them from going yeah, and working with anyone and and hopefully we'll never need it again that'd be fantastic that'd be ideal but i don't see anyone starting those programs i don't see anyone trying to start those programs you know you don't need our permission to do that you can go work with with the mentally ill you can go work with domestic violence people you you can do whatever you want and if you can get them out of those cycles where we don't have to go to those runs uh, I'll I'll be the first one to pat you on the back and congratulate you. Yeah, there's a part of me that wants to say, Sophia, if you think you can do better, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I, you I'd know, love and to that's see you. you know, that's sometimes. It, I'm sure that's probably what like, you really want to well, say, we, not to say but it. But we you. think at times, yes, yes. I'm not going to lie, um, but you know, like I said, people just have this fantasy that things are always hunky dory, and when mm. the police arrive, we just make it total chaos, which is the complete opposite. Sometimes it happens, absolutely. But, you know, we can't control every situation every time. So all of these alternatives to handling some of these uh, community issues or, uh, again, I don't know how we want to categorize them, mental health calls, domestic disturbances, are all kind of born out of this idea of defunding the police. And we kind of touched on this last week. Last week, we had on uh, Lieutenant Kevin Zelt. He's actually a commander Mm -hmm. with the SWAT team here in Fort Wayne. And we we just kind of brushed on this topic. We were running out of time, but it just kind of got mentioned. I think we were off the air. And I'm like, let's record this. We were off there, but I still was recording. And (laughs) I I did get uh, permission. He did know know we were recording him, and he was okay. (laughs) I did get permission, actually, uh, from Kevin to share what he said, because I to me, what he said spoke to me. It's common sense. And so I, I want to run that here real quick. A lot of times we become the dumping ground for problems that people can't figure out who should handle. And we would be glad to give a lot of that stuff to somebody else. The problem is when you start expecting social workers to deal with violent armed people, what happens when the social workers start getting hurt? Well, what happens then is, well, let's arm the social workers. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's give them police powers. And, you know, now you're, yeah. and let's give them training on how to defend themselves. And it's like, well, now you're back to a police department. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I think that there are many calls that we could defer to other agencies. I don't think social workers should be within the police department. That should be that was a gonna be my next separate question. division. Why should we spend our resources and our money on individuals from uh, that are going to work in another agency? We have parking control people. We have fire department people. We have animal control. They're separate entities. Why should the police department budget pay for this entity? Because uh, we need every bit of our resources and manpower we can get. Let's form another group that, you know, through 311 or something like that, that on these lower priority calls, just like Animal Control or Neighborhood Code or any of these other cities, you know, they send their people out there to deal with it. But, you know, my issue with the social workers in police department is we're a police department. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on police department things. Let the social worker division deal with social worker things. So when he talks about, you know, how many casualties we're willing to accept, you know, we have already accepted those casualties. In 2020, uh, November 30th of 2020th, his Seattle um, social worker was stabbed to death by a mentally ill subject she went to check on because he thought she was there to take away his Social Security benefits. Um, in twenty, in December 2nd, in Melbourne, Florida, another social worker was shot to death by a man he worked with um, in, in the mental health um, area. And as far back as 2004, you know, a social worker was attacked when she went to check on a 17-year-old. He, he attacked her with a knife and a chainsaw. She didn't die, but, you know, th- those are traumatic situations. And, and I'm not saying every call is like that, because obviously it is not. No, but it happens. But it happens. Mm-hmm. And, and we are charged with protecting the public. And if we can't protect our own social workers who go out because we're putting them in these 
in these very delicate situations where they don't know. I mean, as officers, we don't know. I mean, we get ambushed. Like I said before, ambushes are up 148% this year for officers. Are all these people, you know, right as rain and mentally fit? Absolutely not. Some of them suffer from mental illness. And if we're in these situations and we're unable to defend ourselves with our training and our equipment and what we have, imagine what a social worker would be like. I, I don't know anyone who'd want to do that job This, if we're going to make them start doing these kinds of things. No, and I can't help but feel like you're sending a extremely vulnerable person right. into a situation like that, and we're calling them a social worker, but yet we're expecting them to some degree to behave and be trained like that of a police officer. And you're expecting them to have the experience that we have in the reading of body language, the reading of of people. Um, they're just they're just a different cut. And mm -hmm. it's not bad, it's not it's not better, it's not worse. It's just different, right? They see things differently than how I as a police officer th see things. Um, I, it's unconscionable to me how we would send someone like that into volatile situations now. And, and we can't ever predict what situation is going to be volatile. We just can't. If mm -hmm. we could do that, I'd be rich. Done. Easy. Yeah, right. I could, you know, rule the world. Sure. But it's just not possible. So um, I'd rather personally err on the side of caution, have officers out there, stabilize them. And then bring if you want to bring social workers into that scene, then that's what you want to do. Then that's fine. But well, not that, until someone's stabilized. Kind of on that note, Sophie, I don't know if you're familiar with it, um, but it's called the Second Responders Program. It was being pitched years ago, actually, in Richmond, Virginia. And the idea is that it's a coordinated social services effort. And essentially, the social services responders would be your second responders. So, of course, you have the police department go in first. Let's say it's a domestic violence situation. And they do what they need to do. But then they can call in the second responders unit to assist on the scene while police officers remained on the scene as well. What about that's been another option that this idea came about in like 2004 years ago, but it's resurfaced uh, its head since we're having this defund the police conversation across the country. So when I think about things like that, I think that we have good programs in place as it is. Uh, we have a really good victims assistance unit that Hmm. pretty much handles all of that so for like domestic doing violence. That. We are. And I think, you know, in this whole scheme of let's reinvent policing, how about we just look at what's working in what cities? Amen. And let's With a lot study of those yeah. and let's look at the statistics because statistics don't lie. I mean, we we label our uh, encounters with mental mentally ill people. You know, to the letter, I mean, I'm looking at our stat sheet right now and we have, you know, was it a voluntary transport? Were there medical admissions? Were there emergency detentions in 72 hour? Were they stabilized on the scene? These are all broken down into numbers for us so we can look and see where we can improve. If we take what we're doing here and apply that maybe to other smaller departments or other cities where things just aren't working, let's try things there. Every community is different. Mm -hmm. Everybody has different um you know, organizations that assist with this. So we're lucky to have pretty good mental health facilities here. Are they perfect? No, but they are good for what we need them for to get people stabilized and get them back home. What about in a bigger city like Minneapolis or Chicago or Atlanta? Do you think a different approach needs to be taken in bigger cities when it comes to calls like that we're talking about? Before we say defund or let's change the system, let's see what's working in other cities and see if we can apply them to those larger cities. I would think that would be a better way to go yeah. rather than just to dismantle everything we have going and, and try something completely new that is unproven, untested. These things are working. These models work. 
And I don't know how they would apply to a larger city. Um, who knows? But I would hope that they would apply well and they could just transfer over pretty easily. This concept of uh, defund the police, and I'm not a police officer, obviously, but I, and I know you said it's disheartening in the beginning, but it's kind of thrown me for a loop because it's it's forced me, at least in the world that I work in, to think about a world or a country without the police department. Like, just for this brief moment, I've tried to—I always do that. I try to put the shoe on the other foot and really force myself to think about that. And— Usually I'm really good at doing that, putting that shoe on the other foot. I can't do it with this. I can't imagine our country without police. Well, you can kind of take a look and, and look at cities like Minneapolis, look at cities like Chicago, look at cities, you know, like Houston even. Yeah. Um, who have scaled back their pay for police, have scaled back the budgets, who have put the money somewhere else. And you can look at just at the crime stats, the violent crime stats, and look how much they've increased uh, and you can kind of get a feel for what it would be like without the police. So if we go back and look at Atlanta, for instance, um, after their police-involved shooting down there at the Wendy's, uh, they created a no-police zone, right? And they had citizens mm -hmm. pretty much blocking off the streets, creating, you know, they were the police, it, it, theoretically, um, right. even though uh, they weren't. In, in air quotes. Yes, in air quotes. <laughs> right, you people, no one can see me. Um, but what happened? They killed an innocent yeah. woman who was just trying to go home. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, there has to be something in place. And yeah, I think chaos. I, my brain immediately it, yeah, goes to that, chaos. It, it's just whoever is the biggest, the baddest, who has the most guns, who has the most ammo mm -hmm. wins. That's the long and short of it. We're going to go back to just, I, I don't even know, what, we're at a time when we were like that. And, and the other really ironic part I think to all of this, too, when we're thinking about some of the really loud voices, and i sorry to keep going to Chicago, but they're not too far from us. Uh, Mary Lawyer, Lori Lightfoot, for example, she's she's been a really loud voice when it comes to the defund the police movement. Uh, same with the mayor of New York City. You know, there, you have all these loud voices, and yet at the same exact time, they're hiring extra personnel, which, by the way, these folks are carrying firearms to protect them and calling them security officers. And I'm like, well, isn't that the—you're th stripping the funds away from the very thing that is needed to protect you as, as a city official, as a city leader. To me, that just doesn't make any sense, Sophia. And again, I'm not a police officer, but it makes my blood boil. It does me, too, because it's it, it just kind of brings that divide even further, the have and the have-nots. It have does. Not. It does. Right? So if I can afford private so security, divisive. then I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But— the rest of you, and, and that's what government is here to do, right? Government is here to protect people. We're supposed to provide this protection for people as government. And that is, to me, I, I just don't understand how we've gotten so far away from that. Um, and we've taken, you know, this small number of incidents, and it really is small when you're looking yeah. at the million, uh, million plus incidents that police have every year, and you go down to you know, 900 or 1,000 people shot by police, and I'm not going to get into how many were justified, how many were not. But you look at that small little percentage, and we've blown it up to act like this happens every day across the country, every hour, every moment, mm -hmm. in every police encounter, when it's, it doesn't. And that is unfortunately what my line of work seems to do. You yeah. know, folks in the media, folks in the news, you take, you take the one negative. We take this tiny little thing, this molehill, and turn it into a mountain.
And, you know, and I'm not opposed to looking at those because those do need to be looked at. If there was wrongdoing by an officer, then 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 things need to happen. Then arrests need to be made or or policies need to be changed or or whatever. I'm not opposed to any of that. But I what I don't like is, you know, when you take this small little microcosm of things that happen and blow it up to make it seem like everything is bad and we mm-hmm. should just throw the baby out with the bathwater and and start fresh that's just not how it should happen. We we need reform, sure, but we need to do it slowly and we need to find out what the problem is and what is the quickest, most efficient, but most um, protective way to handle that. We need to still have protection for the people because we know that the people who suffer the worst are the low-income communities mm-hmm. that are are made to look like they're the ones chiming they don't want the police. Something I love about you, Sophia, you're always solutions-based. I, I find a lot of people, again, that I work with, especially in the media, we're all problems-based, right? There's right. all these problems yeah. and no solutions. And I greatly respect that about you because you are solutions-based. And I, I think it's because I was actually going to ask you, how do we move forward and how do we progress and get past this defund the police movement? But I think you just kind of answered my question without me even asking it, yeah. of, of taking a look at what is working within certain departments and maybe applying that to some of the bigger cities or to the bigger police departments out there and and at least trying that first and moving from there. Yeah, I mean, we have to have a basis to start from. And, you know, like I always say, I hear a lot of people talking and I hear a lot of people telling us what the problems are, but no one's coming forth with With any solutions. And I am not opposed to failing at things you mm-hmm. know if we if we never fail we never fly high and that's what we have to do and sometimes things are not going to work and maybe it may end badly i don't know but until we start trying different things and we can't just stop it and start all over again that's yeah. not how this works we can't work that way not when lives are at stake yes um so i think we slowly move and i i saw um I was on the internet the other day and someone's like, I hear people say a baby steps, you know, and he goes, baby steps are, are huge Huge. leaps Mm -hmm. for children and, and they're going into the unknown. And I think that's, I I like that analogy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want us to take baby steps in this because I want us to go in places and try things we've never tried before, but also safely do it in a way that we can implement what we already know works and try to make that larger on a larger scale. What a great analogy. What's coming up next week? Uh, next week, I think we want to turn this around and go to something a little more festive and, and happy. So um, I'll We be... always say we're going to do that, and somehow that doesn't quite happen. <laughs> well, next week, um, I'm going to have uh, W. Chief Mitch McKinney on again. He is the um, Leaving a Living Legacy Foundation um president uh, for the Fraternal Order of Police, and we'll be talking about Cops for Kids, and we'll talk about our COPE program we just did. So we'll be having some good news on next week, and then I want to follow that week up and maybe have someone on to talk about drinking and driving since we're entering into that holiday season where there's a lot of festivities and parties. I want everybody to be safe and know what the laws are and know what you should and shouldn't do. Perfect. Don't forget any previous episodes of Unholstered. You can download them now anywhere where you download a podcast. This is your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 107.5 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.